for those of us who've been in church a long time, we often will run into people who will ask us, or we've heard people ask, do you know Jesus? And of course, we understand that. A lot of us understand what that means. But uh, I think through, the, through time and through just through our experience that sometimes we equate knowing Jesus with mere knowledge about him. And this morning, I don't think there's, uh, there's a, a better question to ask about do you know Jesus. I think that the answer to that question has profound implications into our daily walk, our talk, uh, how we organize and orchestrate our lives. Uh, you know, what, who is the master that we're serving? And so do you know Jesus? I'm not asking, uh, do you know what he looks like in, in the sense of the pictures that have been drawn? He's usually presented as some white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed individual. Uh, and that uh, is uh, probably as far from the truth uh, as anything else. I mean, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, if you really want to know what he looked like, you probably want to look at someone from the Mideast, someone that has darker skin, a darker complexion. And when I ask you, do you know Jesus, I'm not asking you, I'm not asking you if you know facts about him. I'm not asking you uh, if you necessarily believe he's the son of God. I'm not asking you uh, if you believe that he's the son of Mary. I'm not asking you uh, if you believe that he roamed the earth healing people. I'm asking you, do you know him? And more importantly than you knowing him, do you understand that he knows you? Do you understand that he knows you? No matter where you've been, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've done, no matter what your life has been involved with, he knows you. And even though he knows you and he knows us and he knows all the good and all the bad and all the ugly, he still is interested in hearing from us. He is still interested in knowing us personally. He is still interested in us knowing Him personally. Not knowledge, but the movement of God in a person's heart, mind, soul, in the whole person. That is the Jesus Christ that I want to introduce you to. I do not want to introduce you to the Jesus of the world religion. I don't want, you to, I don't want to introduce you to the Jesus of Christianity. I want to introduce you to the Jesus that changes lives. Because I believe that a lot of us in our country, in our world, in our culture, we have a lot of people that will say, I'm a Christian. But that word is worthless. It means nothing unless it's backed up by a life that is obediently, passionately pursuing Him. So I'm not interested in, in, in telling you about a Jesus of Christianity. I'm interested in introducing you to someone that can radically change your life. He changed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people from the very beginning. And throughout the last two millennium, he has transformed people's lives. He has transformed churches. He has transformed families. People have gone to be down and out and lifting up on high with him. All because they begin to intimately know the God who loves them so much. They begin to intimately know the Son of God that was born in a manger outside of Bethlehem in that inn or in that stable. We know that we know that we know that Christ has come and as a result of His coming, our lives have the potential to be radically different. God is a surprising God. God is not predictable. One of the things that, that I have seen over the years is oftentimes the Jesus Christ that's presented in the local church is a predictable Jesus. 
And a lot of times the predictable Jesus ends up looking a lot like you and acting a lot like you and me. That is not the Jesus of the scripture. The Jesus of the scripture is radically different. The Jesus of the scripture is not interested in religion. The Jesus of scripture is interested in us. The Jesus of Scripture is not interested in the people that have all the answers. He's not interested in the wise people of the day in today's time. He's not interested in the people that have two and three and four PhDs. He's interested in the person who doesn't know him. As a matter of fact, he writes through the, through the parables and the stories of the Gospels, he writes that, that he cares so much for the lost that he's willing to leave 99 who are righteous and 99 who are saved to pursue the one who has wandered. I wonder how many of us today in this room, though we may look okay on the outside, we have had a season of wandering. Jesus Christ is interested in you. God works in surprising ways. I mean, let's think about it. We're introduced to a God in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and darkness covered it, And God said, let there be light, and boop, bam, there was light. There was nothing, and then there was something. God takes our nothing and makes it something. That is God's creative force. From the very beginning, we are introduced to a God who is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He can do anything. So why do we find, tucked in the scriptures... The centrality of God's word, that Jesus Christ, his one and only son, dies. That doesn't sound like the God that we were introduced to in Genesis. I mean, this God in Genesis seems to be so far out there in the universe, so far uh, out there that he speaks the planets and the solar systems and all the galaxies. He speaks those into existence. That seems like a God that is looking over the entire, entire universe. But then in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word... And the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and all things that came into being came through Him. And nothing that has come into existence has come about without Him. His light shines in the darkness. We find in John a new nuance, a new facet to who God is. This God who so desires to be a part of us that He dares to move in to our neighborhood. He comes, it becomes flesh He moves into this planet and he begins turning the world upside down. God sends his one and only son. If you read in the Gospels, you'll see that John the Baptist was called to prepare the way. And the way was coming in the form of his cousin from Bethlehem. The way, the truth, and the life from John 14, 6. This Jesus Christ that we're introduced with. God works in surprising ways. He sends his one and only son to be the Savior. Of the world. Now, with a God who can speak nothing into something, could he not just snap his fingers and fix the sin problem? Listen, God could do anything, but what God chose to do and what God can do are different things. What you and I can do and what we can choose to do can be different things. 
The fact of the matter is that you and I can do anything that we want to do. If we want to go down here to the Carter County Bank tomorrow morning or this afternoon and we want to rob that bank, we can rob that bank. If we want to go to Chick-fil-A and steal all their chicken sandwiches tomorrow, we can go to Chick-fil-A. And I'm sure you, if you point a gun at Mary, Mary said, take the chicken. That's what she do. We can take all the chicken. We can have it. You can do whatever you want to do. You want to cheat on your income taxes within the next month? You can do that. But what are you going to choose to do? God chose to send His only Son to die on the cross for our sins. Why? Because He wanted to choose to demonstrate His love for us. He wanted us to know how much He loves us. How much He cares for us. And here's the amazing fact as he works in surprising ways. He loves you more than you could ever love him. He loves us more than we could ever love him. And he demonstrates that by sending his one and only son. The only way, the only truth, the only life that could give us access to the Father. Now before that, before the coming of Jesus, the way the people of God got in right relationship with him is they would have what Jews celebrate today as Yom Kippur, which means Day of Atonement. And there was one time a year, one time a year, that the, the priest, the high priest, would go into what we sang about today, the Holy of Holies. You've got that curtain that's blocking the unrighteous from the righteous. And the Holy of Holies is blocked by this huge veil because no one can look at God. No one can experience God. No one can see God. We need, to, we need to tremble at the threshold of who God is. And so one time a year, the high priest would go in and you would basically give a sacrifice so that the priest would go in and give a sacrifice on your behalf to atone for your sins. And the beauty of Mark and the beauty of the Gospels is God made a way where there seemed to be no way. Why did there seem to be no way? Because listen, can everybody once a year get to the one place where they believe God, they had boxed him up in that temple, can everybody in the world get there? The answer to that question is no. So who gets to go to Jerusalem? Who gets to make the journey? Who gets to buy the sacrifice? People with money. And all the little preachers like me, uh, let's just say that Elizabethan was the seat of this place, the temple was here in Elizabethan, then all the little preachers like me, I'm like, oh boy, we got all these people coming into our neighborhood, we can charge them, if we were going to charge them a dollar for a dove, we'll charge them $25, we'll give $20 to the tech fund, and we'll take the other five and put it in the coffers. And so there was this profit gaming and making money on the sacrifice. Jesus makes a way where there seems to be no way. There's no way that that was going to atone for the evil that is so prominent in our lives. And his way is through the person of Jesus Christ. God works in a very surprising way. God uses his son as a sacrifice for sin so that all people would have the opportunity to enjoy fellowship with God. And notice what I said, all 
people. We live in a day and time where many of us want to decide who's in and who's out. Guess what? We don't get to decide who's in and who's out. God's atonement was for all people everywhere. All He wants us to do is respond to the gift that's already been given, His Son Jesus Christ. He died for everybody. Listen, you may be here this morning. You may be adamantly opposed. You may be angry at God. You may be distant from God. Let me say this. Listen, God has not moved away from you. You have moved away from your proximity to Him. God, listen, God does not sit here this morning, stand here this morning, lording over you this morning, judging you this morning. God wants you back. God wants you to come home. God wants you to be introduced to his amazing son, Jesus Christ, through which, by which, and only which you and I can have eternal life in him. It's through Jesus. You say, well, what about the person that's in the remote parts of the Amazon jungle? Or what about the person that's at the ends of the earth that has never heard of Jesus? Can I get a plug for missions? That's why it is our obligation to go throughout the world sharing the love and the hope of Christ. Because let me tell you something, some people's eternity depends on our willingness and our obedience to answer the call that he's given to us to go and tell the story of Jesus. God works in surprising ways. He not only sends his one and only son, but another way that he works in surprising ways is he wants to use us. He wants to use you. And he doesn't want to use you because of the things that you bring to the table. He doesn't want to use you because you had a perfect life. He doesn't want to use you because you made right choices. He doesn't want to use you because you have all the answers. He doesn't want to use you because you're connected to a friend or a pastor or a deacon or to someone of influence. He wants to use you because he loves you. He wants to use you because he created you to be used by him. That's how much he loves you. He has given his only son for you. God works in surprising ways. But not only that, God works through surprising people. If you look in verse 38 of the passage, it says, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the son of God. I want you to notice the centurion that's standing at the cross. Now, what has that centurion just done? What did he do? Right. The centurion, this very centurion, more than likely nailed him to the cross or offered him that wine vinegar while Jesus is hanging in agony on the cross. And I want you to notice what the centurion notices. He says, when the centurion noticed how Jesus died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. This centurion noticed how Jesus died. Not how Jesus lived, not the miracles that Jesus performed, not all the hype and rumor mill that had circled around that previous week, but this centurion confesses that Jesus is the Son of God based on how he dies. Hmm. Would people 
be able to confess Christ as the Son of God based on our death? Or more importantly, would people be able to confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God based on how we live? How do you live? Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus lived a perfect life and took his perfection, took his holiness, took his godliness, and he emptied himself, as the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, and he became obedient to God, even obedient to death, death on a cross. He emptied himself of all of his glory for you and for me. And on the cross, as he hung there in Mark, the 15th chapter, he cries out to God and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Other gospels will record more words about what Jesus said. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And then the infamous one, It is finished. And Jesus dies. And all of these are heard by this centurion. Jesus dies in agony on a cross. And in the way and the manner in which he dies, the centurion confesses him as the Son of God. Now, what I also think is interesting is this. Nowhere in the Gospel of Mark Go home this afternoon, read the entire 15 chapters, 16 chapters of of, of the Gospel of Mark, and you'll find this truth. Nowhere does any human being whatsoever confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God anywhere in that Gospel. The only person to realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is the very man who nailed him to the cross. Now, what kind of implications does that have for us? It has profound implications, and here's why. Because as much as we want to pretend that we are good, and as much as we want to pretend like we're on God's side, we're basically like the centurion. We're going through our daily walk and our daily lives doing what we're supposed to do. He is carrying out his duties as a Roman guard a centurion. He's not taking notice of anything in particular. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, the centurion sins, as well as the women who are there, the disciples that have scattered away, and all the people that were singing Hosanna's praises the beginning of that week, those sins that Christ takes on the cross, they're their sins as well. As a matter of fact, that cross event takes on the sins of the entire world for all time and all places, including the one that you committed this morning. Every sin is brought to its end in the cross event of Jesus Christ. Every sin is diminished in its capacity to be lorded over us. We don't have to be defined by it. We don't have to be figured out by it. It is all finished on the cross because the beauty of the cross is that the cross is not the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus Christ was resurrected. What was dead has now become life again. 
How many of you who are walking in your journey today would love to have a renewed life? How many of you would love to be alive and full and full of joy and peace and comfort? Some of you who come in with baggage and agony and all these problems and things, some of these things that, that you created in your life, some of these things that were given to you. Listen, it's not the cards that you're dealt that makes the difference in your life. It's how you and I choose to play the cards that we've been dealt. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, when the cards have been dealt, the, the odds are stacked against us. But thank God for Christ, because in Christ, He makes all things new. In Christ, we always have a royal flush. In Christ, we take down the table. Why? Because He said, it is finished. But is it finished for you? Are you still holding on to things that you need to absolutely let go of? Next week, we will have tons of people that I call Christers. They're people that show up at Christmas and Easter. This place will be full, so I would encourage you next week, for those of you who are comfortable downstairs, I want to invite you to sit upstairs next week to make room for all these visitors. Listen, we're not here to judge people that don't come any time of the year. But next week, we want to make sure that every person that darkens this door understands, number one, Christ loves them. Number two, Christ died for them. And number three, we are not going to give up on them. We are going to love them until the opportunity comes in which they receive Him as personal Lord and Savior. That is our commitment. That is our mission. Why? Because we don't, want to be the, the, we don't want the centurion to be the only person that notices who Jesus is. What else I think is interesting in this passage, not only that God works through surprising people, but in this passage as the centurion is there, where are the disciples? These 12 men, by the way, who Jesus called, Jesus ate with them, they camped out with him for three years. I mean, they were in Jesus' space for three years of ministry, healing, feeding 5,000, feeding tens of thousands of people, seeing lame people to walk and blind people see, seeing people raised back to life. Where are they in this pivotal moment? They're hiding. Who's there? The women. Could I get a roar from the women this morning? Where's the man? Where is the man in the story? The only man in the story is the one on the cross. So men, let me encourage you. You want to be the leader of your family? <laughs> You want to be the spiritual guidance that God has called you to be? It won't be because you tell your wife what she needs to do. It's by you submitting to the Lordship of Christ and you participating in what Christ has done on the cross and you recognizing you need to die to yourself. If you want your family amazingly resurrected, die to yourself. And guess what? Women will take notice. That's what happens in the story. There are no men in the story but Jesus. And that centurion, he was a sappy little man until he recognized 
this man was the son of God. Where are the disciples? Where are Jesus' followers in verse 40? We find that they're not there, but they're women that are watching from a distance. Okay, followers of Jesus, where are you? Okay, those of you who are excited about following him, where are you? I just find it interesting that they wanted to be the greatest in his kingdom. They were willing to fight over being the greatest in the kingdom. But when Jesus faced his pivotal and crucial moment, they were absent. What about you? Are you present? Are you here? Do you hear from God? God works in surprising ways. God works through surprising people. God wants to work finally through you. He worked through his son Jesus. He astounded hundreds of thousands of people. He worked through surprising people like a centurion. And his desire is to work in your life and in my life. If you look at chapter 16, verse 4, it says, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. God's desire is to work through you. Listen to me. This stone that was rolled away, this stone that sealed the vault, this stone that sealed the tomb that was meant to keep Jesus in to the point that the Roman emperor, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, whatnot, ordered that a seal be put on that stone, a wax seal. There were two guards assigned to that to ensure that nobody, 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 nobody would take and come in and roll that stone away and steal that body so that it would promote what Jesus said he would do all along. And so they show up. And the stone's been rolled away. Where are the guards? Where are the guards? Hmm. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. Jesus, listen, Jesus is not a groundhog <laughs> that we let out and then he rushes back in when his shadow is displayed. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let us in. Profound implications to that. Therefore, it's possible to understand that Jesus is the Son of God and not have spent an enormous amount of time traveling with Him like a disciple because the disciples are nowhere. But this centurion who got up one Friday morning and was chosen to be the one to nail Jesus to the cross doing his ordinary every today, everyday thing on an ordinary day had his life changed in an extraordinary way. It was the death of Christ that impressed his confession. Listen to me. It is the death of Christ that must impress our confession. We don't have to understand how. 
We don't have to understand the, how the miracle works, the, inning and, the in, inside and outside of it. We just have to accept it as truth. Listen to me. Let's say that you're diagnosed with something. You're diagnosed with a, some kind of cancer. You've got a tumor. And the doctor's going to tell you what he's going to do to eradicate that tumor treatment. Listen, you don't have to know all the gruesome details of what goes on. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to pay your copay or show up when the doctor tells you to get there because you want to be healed. You want to be fixed. Don't think away the sovereignty of God. Don't think away His miraculous work and His care for you. Don't write away the endless possibilities and the miracles. You and I don't have to understand everything to experience the only thing. The sovereign work of Christ in your life. This morning, you have a decision. You have a question that you have to answer. And that question is the same question I began with in the very beginning. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him? If you know him, how is he constantly changing your life? Because if he's not constantly changing your life and causing you to become a better follower of him, then my friend, ladies and gentlemen, you don't know him. The invitation is simple. We're going to sing a hymn. In a minute, I'm going to have a prayer. We're going to stand and we're going to sing the song, Jesus Paid It All, because he did. He paid it all. If you're here this morning in this room, I don't care whether you've been here before. I don't care whether you've been a member here for a thousand years. That'd be interesting. Uh, I don't care whether you've just darkened the door this morning or whether you've been here two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, a dollar. It doesn't matter. Do you know Jesus? This invitation as we sing Jesus paid it all, it is our opportunity to meet him face to face. Surrendering our lives to him, pursuing him, not worrying about what we've done, not worrying about what we said, not being defined by the way the world looks at us or the culture looks at us, but being defined in and through him. Because he loves you, he has a purpose for us, and he, nor are we, going to give up on you until you've made that decision to know him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your work in the life of First Baptist Church. Lord, we thank you for your work in people's lives. We thank you that it's not about us, it's about you. And Lord, as we enter this holy week and as we think about how Jesus impacts our lives, the question is, do we know him? Do we know him? And this invitation, if there's someone here in this room who's never accepted Christ, that is, they've never said, you know what, I don't really understand what it means to know Jesus, but I want to know more about what that means this morning, then we invite you to come during this invitation song. Lord, I pray that you would help them just walk down this aisle. They don't have to have the words to say. We just want to pray for them, to give them the tools that they need to question more, to understand more, but more importantly than questioning and understanding, it is experiencing the risen Christ. For others in this room who say, you know, I will, I, I've, we've decided that we want to be a part of First Baptist Church. We would like to become members. We believe that God is leading us here in this place for worship, fellowship, and for ministry. If that's your prayer this morning, we would love 
to have you. If there are others in this room that are just beat up and that have been tattered and torn by life this week or they're going through a season of fear, a season of hurt, this invitation is also for them to kneel at the altar, to seek the face of Christ, to seek His help because He's the only one that can wipe away our tears. He's the only one that can cleanse us. He's the only one that can save us. Lord, in this invitation, as we respond, may you find us obedient, may you find us faithful, and may we do this as an act of worship as we invite you continually in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Won't you stand with me as we sing? Again, if you're here this morning, you need to make a decision. Won't you come? Come during this invitation song.